So we've been discussing the chastisement of Kalia, a very significant Pogandalila, and uh, for a number of reasons. Um, just to name a few again, the difference between Kalia and all of the, of the other um, adversaries that Krishna meets in Braj is significant, and uh, we know a little bit about that from his from the history of the uh, of his coming to Braj in the first place, and. Um, The absence of Balaram's presence in immediate is also related to that. And um, <clears throat> also, this is a leela in which the heroism of Krishna, which has been heard about by the elders, um, as related by the boys who witnessed the slaying of Aga, Baka, Batsura, Bat, Bat, Batsasura, and so forth. <clears throat> Um, heard by the elders and somewhat minimized in that boys tend to exaggerate and so forth. Um, heard by the gopis from the Madhurya Rasa perspective who then thought of him as a Prince Charming, that boy they're talking about amongst them without having met him yet. Their hearts were captured by him. Of course, this is as it manifests in the Prakat Leela. There is a difference between them, these associates of Krishna with whom he descends, and of course ourselves or sadhakas in the Leela as well. The Prakat Leela is, is, a, is a junction between the Nitya Leela and Nitya Bada, Nitya Siddha, Nitya Bada. Different types of jivas and different types of nityasiddhas, as we've heard as well. There are tatastha nityasiddhas. We spoke about Garuda in this regard, citing Paramatma Sandarbha. Sound like a panther. And um, and other than the Nityasiddha Tatasta Jivas, who exemplify the theological sense uh, that Tatasta uh, uh, implies, ramifications of Tatta means. It means like the shore. It means like the line of demarcation between, the, for example, the ocean and the beach, which is an imaginary line that you can't stick your finger on, which serves the term to illustrate the extent to which the jiva is, the tatasta jiva, that its nature is one that lends itself to nurture. So to understand its ontological position we have to understand it in light of the other two shaktis, Maya Shakti and Sarup Shakti, that it can be influenced by. So it can live on either side. So the fact that there are Tatasta Nityasiddhas, in one sense, uh, it, 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 it demonstrates to us that it's possible for the Tatasta Jeeva to live on that side. There are other types of nityasiddhas as well that are not constituted of the tatasta shakti. They are constituted wholly of the sarup shakti, like Radha, Nanda, Yasoda, Sridham, Sudham, Subal, Lalita, so forth and so on, Raktak, Patrak, the Parshadas. These are all uh, manifestations of the sarup shakti of Krishna. It's important um, to note that distinction in one sense, because 
if they were no jivas constituted of the sarup shakti, then Krishna's rasa and uh, pleasure would be dependent upon, to some extent, the tatasta shakti. But it's not. It's dependent only on the sarup shakti, which is his, which is his internal nature. We have these three principal shaktis: maya shakti, tatasta shakti. Swarup Shakti. They're all one with Krishna and different from him, but some are more one and some are more different. The Maya Shakti is more different. The Swarup Shakti is, is more one. S- smoke is more different than the heat and light of the fire. Hmm? Right? So in that analogy, smoke is the Maya Shakti. And the heat and light are the sarup shakti. It's you, you can kind of conceive of separating smoke and see. Indeed, it seems to be separated from fire. But how do you separate heat and light? Hmm? So, um, so Krishna revels only within himself. He's self-satisfied. Nothing outside of himself. He doesn't depend on the Maya shakti for his happiness, which would be misery. <laughs> Uh, nor on the Tatasta Shakti, but the Tatasta Shakti can be imbued with the Sarup Shakti and thus participate in his Leela and, and bring pleasure uh, to him in the context of Rasa. So those constituted of the Sarup Shakti are important nitisiddhas of this variety hmm? because it is through them, of course through the agency of Guru Parampara, hmm, that that bhakti that's constituted of Surup Shakti comes to us through Sadhu Sangha. Hmm. Otherwise, he's unto himself, right? Interacting with the Surup Shakti. It's inherent in him and it manifests externally, so to speak, from him. Just like sugar is sweet, inherently, but it can't taste itself. So in order for tasting to go on, somehow the sweetness has to manifest and personify and then interact. Hmm? This is rasa. So, Radha Krishna Pranai Vikridhir Ladini Shakti Rasmad Sarupamara Goswami writes, and Krishnadas Kaviraj has taken this verse and employed it in his Mangal Charan of Chaitanya Charitamrita. Radha Krishna Pranai Vikridhir Ladini Shakti Rasmad uh, 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 Radha and Krishna are Krishna's one he expands as Radha the two of course verse goes on again become one as Chaitanya Mahaprabhu hmm? but Radha is Radha Krishna Pranai Vikriti Ladini Shakti Radha is a transformation of the Ladini Shakti hmm? it's inherent in Krishna but he cannot like sugar, can it taste itself? Krishna's like, like the breath. And Radha's like, put a flute in front of it. Oh, it's the same breath, but now it's very, very different in the chanting, right? Or to use a scientific example, um, a, it's said that what, that mass and energy are one and different. If an if an if an object if if an object is 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 still, then its mass and energy are equal. But when it's in motion, its energy exceeds its mass. Hmm? So, Radha and Krishna are one. But as they, of course, this doesn't happen in time. But we're confined by language, by words, and so forth to describe something that's beyond that. So we're limited in that sense. So the two become eternally. The one becomes two. And then the energy exceeds the mass, so to speak. Radha exceeds Krishna and causes the Brahman to move. He who is everywhere is now moving, indeed dancing, and like a puppet. Amishishu Guru Nata. He says, 
I'm the, the, the shisha, the disciple, and the, the dancing of Radha, that, that is my, in the arts, her dancing is my guru. Hmm? Krishna had more than one guru. <laughs> so, these um, then principal associates, I want to say the let's let's say uh, nityasiddha parshadas. They have anadi siddha samskars. That means anadi means without beginning. Siddha means perfect. Samskars means impressions. It, again, we're limited by language. Impressions that are that, that these are impressions that somehow don't come from outside. How can you have an impression that doesn't come from outside and impress itself on us? But the nitya siddha, anadi nitya siddha samskars. <laughs> so they have another way to talk about a samskar is, is a tendency. Hmm? By associating, we get certain impressions, and then tenen- those tendencies come within us and, and, and drive our our actions. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, and so they are to use Shirupa's word ragatmikas. Their atma mm-hmm. has rag for Krishna within it, inborn. It's another way of saying it. So they have this perfect tendency, samskar, for loving Krishna with no beginning, hmm? beginningless. They are the ideal that, of course, we want to follow in the footsteps of the footsteps of Subal, Sridham, Lalita Visaka, Rupa Manjari, and so forth, right? As they come to us through the whole teaching, the tattva, and, uh, and so forth, from through Guru Parampara, through Sada Sangha. Luckily, they don't fall from the, from there. It'd be difficult to follow them if they did. If they did. Just as an aside, um, um, but the the interesting point here is, of course, for ourselves, is that we are being driven by material samskars which are also anadi, beginningless karma, but they're, 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 they're by the influence of the maya shakti. Hmm? So there's this meeting of the two samskars. Right? So we want that ideal, but we have to look and see what's motivating and driving, driving us, the driving force behind our actions this time we see, oh, so there's a kind of a collision course, course here where I uh, So, but they're powerful some scars, if you will, the impressions of bhakti, and those are fostered on us through sadhusanga. We take to the, the, the practice naturally, based on the association we have. We're inspired. We take up the practice, and so the first thing that those bhakti impressions coming to us now for the first time. Do or they cleanse the heart. So chaita darpana marjanam. So the, mar- the cleansing of these samskars stored in the chitta. It's where all your memory is. Hmm? Um, and this, eventually, this bhakti rides on the chitta. And it take. What happens is we engage the physical sadhakadeya practitioner's body, such that eventually our bhakti becomes internal. Hmm? Our external bhakti results in internal bhakti, and we're traversing the inner landscape. And then, the onset of bhava, then the mind, the subtle body, chitta, buddhi, and so forth, are overwritten, so to speak, just like they're blank slate written with so many material samskars. Now they're they're overwritten. Prabhupada used to give an example that if you take a jar of ink. And you pour water in it, excuse me, milk in it, blue ink, say black ink, and you pour white milk in it. Hmm? So it, it, what's going to happen is going to overflow. You just keep pouring the milk in, and you're going to see mixed milk 
and water, and eventually it's only going to be milk. It has to go for a long time <laughs> to happen. Only milk, right? So the material samskaras are overridden. In the Yoga Sutra, of course, this is a different discipline, Astanga Yoga, Chitta Vritinirodha. So the vrittis, which form together in clusters and make samskaras and turn into vasanas, which means actual propensities to act and so forth that we act on, are, the, the objective of that school is to erase the, those vrittis, samskaras, vasana, make a blank slate, like a blank, like a, like a placid pond, serene in the forest and so forth. Our view is to sit on the side of the pond and throw a stone in it, and another stone, another stone, another stone, all in the same place, in the same center. And now that pond starts to move, but the movement, the differentiation, the variety, doesn't compromise the placid, the peaceful feeling. It's, it's, it's love on top of peace. Peace and love, we want, not just peace. Peace is not the whole, the whole affair. You have to have commerce and exchange and, and so forth. So, to, to ornament, to beautify the peace with love, right? So, our material samskars meet with bhakti samskars, and gradually then they recede material and they're overridden, so to speak, by uh, bhakti samskars. So, so how did we get there? Lost my place here in more ways than one. Right, so, so we... The significance of of um, Kaliya, be a diff- different from the others and being converted and um, in the context of that the story of Garuda I guess came up and um, so Garuda is an example of a tast of a nitisita tatasta jiva there can be sadhanasita tatasta jivas of course as well That's we are on that course to become perfect by sadhana but the perfect perfection is the ingress of the Sarup Shakti, right? Mm. So, so an important Leela, um, and it showcases, as I was saying, the heroism of Krishna that's uh, uh, experienced readily by the cowherds. Therefore, for Sakyarasa, it is Anudipana. The Virashekar, the heroism of Krishna, is an Udipana. It's not an Udipana for Vatsalya Rasa. That Krishna is now going to challenge some big demon, and that's not going to be something that excites Mother Yashoda and uh, fosters her Vatsalya. Hmm? Right? But for the cowards, it does, and they see themselves in that because Shakya Rasa is based on a sense of equality with Krishna. He and I are, are one. Hmm? And as I said, for the young ladies who, is how we got into this longer extended uh, theological discussion about uh, uh, siddhas and sadhana-siddhas and nityabhadas and so forth, the gopis, they hear the stories and, and they, they fall in love with Krishna without seeing him. But as I was saying, that falling in love, of course, is something, it's already, they're already in love with him. But they are now in this prakat lila, this manifest lila, that seems to be regulated by time and is linear. And so, when they get a certain age, then it comes out. But it's always there. Hmm? And uh, one of the things, of course, that's happening in the prakat lila is Krishna is showcasing the lila for us. Kind of. He's coming to this world for sadhana siddhas. Mm-hmm. Who can no who's who can no longer who've attained Surup Siddhi. They went so far in their bhakti to attain Surup Siddhi and they, they cannot bear the separation from Krishna. Or to put it another way, 
Krishna cannot bear their separation any longer. So the Leela manifests on earth to pick them up, to bring them into the association of his eternal associates. And in, in that hands-on association, their Surup city can mature into Vastu city, a final maturation of their stahi bhav. And then when the Leela winds up, it comes that manifest. And they go with him. So, an important prakat leela, an important leela with regard to Krishna's heroism, because it's only a story. The, the lips of some young boys at this point. Now, in the kali leela, everyone in Braj will see the heroism of Krishna, and in, a, in, in an extreme sense, because it, it looks at a certain point like. He may not be victorious, even. And we'll hear about that. And as we'll hear, at this point, we're just about at the point where, oh my God, if only Balaram were here. He's not here on this day, as we know. So, so he's important here in his absence, and he'll become present in due course. Meanwhile, Krishna has, has, has dived into the lake. Kaliya has seen his swimming expertise, heard the sound of his movements, like music and underwater. He's amazed, but still he wants to attack. Hmm. Meanwhile, on the surface of the, lar- of the lake, large waves ensued. No longer seeing Krishna, the cows also entered the lake, but because of Krishna's purifying presence within the water, they were not adversely affected as before, although they were dismayed that not being out of sight, at, at his being, excuse me, out of sight, and they mooed hauntingly. However, Krishna's sakas fainted into one another's arms, some fainting, others catching those who fainted, not from the effects of Kaliya's poison, but from the thought of losing Krishna. Had they not fainted, they would have dived in after him, which would have been worse. Thus they were saved by their sattvikabhavas. Pralaya is a sattvikabhav. Passing out, going unconscious. So, now we have sattvikabhavas. We hear sanchari, but we have, we're not yet sanchari, but we heard some, the birashikar, the, the uh, heroism, they witnessed, they saw his suvas, his meticulous attention to dress and so forth. These are udipanas, udipana vibhavas, now sattvika bhavas, and there will be more as well. Then, just as suddenly as Krishna had submerged himself within the water, and he, he emerged, however, now immobilized within the coils of Kaliya, causing the sanchari bhav, tarsha, means like terror, and subsequent sattvikabhavs, trembling, losing color, stuttering and fainting in the bodies of his coward friends. So here we introduce, uh, the Leela is introducing this uh, sanchari bhav. Sanchari bhav is, um, is a bhav that's internal, hmm? uh, emo- emotional in nature. So you can have bhavs that are physical in nature, like sattvikabhavs, they manifest as tears and fainting, and, or anubhavs, like this, sakirasa, or so many, all the movements, ecstasy. Um, but uh, uh, bhav is, is the dominant emotion, right? Friendship. Satvigabhavs are also emotive, rather than active or physical, so to speak, in content. And they're they, they're different from the stai bhav, in that they they're not stai, they're sanchari, they're not permanent, they're transitory, they come and they go. So you may be identified in relation to another as a friend, by that dominant emotion, and then in the context of your friendship, you share different emotions that come and go in the course of your your friendship. So relative to the different stai bhavs, then out of the 33 
sattvic abhavs, some will apply to, the, to one rasa, some will apply to another rasa. So it's all, this, this is all a tattva of rasa, rasa tattva. Rupa Goswami, of course, explains this in detail in Bhakti Rasamrita Sindhu. So here they felt apprehension. Uh, they were terrorized with the Sunchari Bhav Tarsha. Uh, it, 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 you might say they became fearful. Now, fear is also a rasa. Bhayankar is a secondary rasa. Secondary rasas differ, differ, differ from primary rasas and from Sanchari Bhavs. They're more permanent than Sanchari Bhavs in that they can displace a primary rasa because to recede to the background and give rasa themselves. But they don't, at the same time, they're not permanent, so they will recede. So, like, for example, in Sakya Rasa, one of the friendly rasas amongst the secondary is Hasya. Comedy. Mm. Joking. Mm. It's, in fact, it's, this rasa is the best friend of Sakya Rasa. Sakya Rasa and Hasya are, are good friends. So you can imagine you're with friends and you just, oh, your stomach hurts, you're laughing so much and rolling on the ground. So it's taken over, and it's become dominant. The friendship has receded to the background, and Sakuras is completely dominant, excuse me, Hasiras is completely dominated, but then it will recede. And the Sakuras is still there, and it will come further to the surface. So it's like a Sanchari, and like a Stai in between. So those secondary Rasas, there's seven and five primary Rasas. Right? So, but here their fear is not Bayankar, it's not a secondary rasa. Furthermore, Bayankar rasa, in Bhakti rasa, the object of rasa, the Vishaya Lambana, is Krishna. So, they're not afraid of Krishna. Do you understand? In fact, Sakyaras is characterized by exact opposite, by fearlessness. Hmm? They're fearless in the presence of Krishna. Hmm? They feel completely confident we can conquer in any, in any situation, except for Madhu Mongol. He gets afraid of, of other cowards. Hmm? And gopis sometimes, too. Hmm? As he boasts beyond <laughs> what he can actually do and they prove it to him. But, but um, so... Krishna is not the object of, f- of fear for them. Hmm? Uh, so, here anyway, this is uh, this is coming from from the text in the Bhagavad, of course. Hmm. Um, here, the fear is a sanchari, not the gonarati bhayankar. It involves fear arising out of contemplation of circumstances. It's a momentary fear, not a prolonged. Fear, worrying. The Saka's terror in this situation is sudden and momentary by contrast, nor is it fear of Krishna that does not manifest in Sakirati, but rather sudden fear for Krishna, and as such, it nourishes their Sakirati. So, this is uh, explained in Bhaktivasamrita Sindhu. Verse from Bhagavatam. When his dear Abir friends saw him wrapped and motionless within the Naga's coils, they became very disturbed. They had given up everything for Krishna. Suhrit, Kama, Artha, Kalatra, and Atma. Their families, prospects for wealth, wives, and associated pleasures, indeed their very selves. Now, their intelligence overcome by terror, suffering, and sorrow, they fell to the ground. Sukadeva Goswami speaks. Sukamuni Kejai. Hmm. It's a nice verse, um, and it it is uh, it, it, it reminds us of a 
verse that Krishna speaks in the Bhagavatam in relation to the gopis in Rasalila. After Krishna disappears from gopis and then from Radha, right? And then he reappears in their their discourse in that context of that discussion. Of course, Chaitanya Mahaprabhu, that's the genesis of Chaitanya Mahaprabhu. Krishna says, I disappeared to see the nature of your love, which should grow, and in much as separation makes the heart grow fonder. But seeing the measure of your love, I realized that what you are tasting, and Rod in particular, exceeds my experience of rasa. And I am known as Rasaraj. And this is a theological problem. It, it is, does it mean that Radha is God then? She tastes more rasa than Krishna? So Krishna has to think about this. And of course he realizes that what makes Radha the way she is, which makes her attractive to him, he says, everyone's attracted to me, but I'm attracted to Radha. Don't tell the yogis. Hmm? They'll be confused by this. As Prabhupada used to say, all the religions are teaching that God is the object of worship, and we're teaching about the object of God's worship. Shirade hmm? Kijai. So Krishna realizes, of course, that there is something in me that she experiences from her vantage point that makes her the way she is. So it's something in me. So I am Rasaraj, but I just can't get at it from this vantage point. So let me try to experience myself from her vantage point in the context of doing that, of course. He's going to repay the gopis for their love, for their sadhuness, he says. Sadviness. The feminine. For their for their sadviness. Sadhu sadhu love is selfless love. So basically he says, embedded in the text of the Bhagavatam, I will become a sadhu once in the life of Brahma, once in the day of Brahma, again and again to repay you by making devotees for you. So he comes in the world and ostensibly, well, he glorifies Radha and pursues the experience that she has of himself by stepping into her shoes, into her bhava. What an extraordinary theological story. Right? That's so, so in, 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 incredible. Krishna is perplexed with these kind of questions. These are most of the theological questions about whether or not God exists. This is God questioning the nature of his existence. Hmm? It's, it's such a so it's a high idea. <clears throat> and uh, so what is it? So then um, so therein Krishna glorifies their love. And you know, he says, You've given up everything, your your families your, your reputation, everything for me. Hmm? So, I'm indebted to you. So, it's sometimes thought wrongly that the quality of the gopi's surrender, so to speak, and self-giving exceeds, for example, that of other rasas. We shouldn't think like that. Hmm? Each one is giving entirely of themselves, such as the nature of rasa. But in accordance with the opportunity for bhava and prem that they've been presented with through sadhusanga, through the movements of sadhus orchestrated by Bhakti Devi herself. Hmm? So Mother Yasoda is not like only partially giving herself. We do differentiate. We can say, okay, gopis 
they gave up everything and even the Dharma, Vedic Dharma. Rukmini, by contrast, couldn't give up the Vedic Dharma. So she couldn't just run off with Krishna. She went as far as she could to stay within the parameters of the Vedic Dharma and sent a Brahmin with a letter to Krishna, please kidnap me and do a Gandharva marriage. Hmm? So one of the types of Vedic marriages that are just based on infatuation, which in the Mahabharata says is the only type of Vedic marriage in Kali Yuga, so it's okay. <laughs> huh? He did the Rakshas. Did what? The Gandharva is mutual. He did the Rakshas. Gandharva marriage it was. Yeah, it, it involves collecting her up, stealing her also, kidnapping her. Hmm? So, so she, she, she couldn't cross over the, the Vedic Dharma. So we could say she, she was more, less selfless. Hmm? Yes, but this is Rukmini, this is who she is. This is, this is the kind of love that, that, that Krishna tastes also. Hmm? She's there for that. And in the context of that, she's giving herself entirely. So again, these gradations are mostly for teaching in this world. They don't, they're not experienced like that in the other realm. So here we have a nice verse where it's said about the coward boys. Hmm? Suhrid, Kama, Artha, Kalatra, Atma. It's similar to the verse that Krishna speaks about the, about the gopis. Uh, uh, Sugadeva is speaking it here, describing the cowherd boys. When his dear Abira friends, Abira is a kind of cowherd, has a little bit of this, like Krishna, this is a, this is a group there, a little bit of Brahminical uh, blood. That's a long story, but um, within their Vaishya um, uh, lineage. When his dear Abira friends saw him wrapped in, the, in motionless in the, in the Nagas coils, they became very disturbed. They had given up everything for Krishna. Their families. See, it sounds familiar. Sister Krishna says, you gave up your family. For, your families, Surid, your families, your, your prospects for Artha, uh, for, for wealth, wives, and associated pleasures. Indeed, uh, your Atmas, your very selves. So it's a nice it, it, verse that that can help us to appreciate this point. Every devotee is giving themselves wholly and completely, but that in relation to the opportunity to give themselves has been presented to them by way of sadhusanga, or in terms of what their manifestations of, so to speak. For that matter, who is Rukmini? Hmm. She's Chandravali. <laughs> Right, Chandrabali Gopi and and Radhika, two sisters in Braj, they become Rukmini and Satyabhama in Dwarka. Rukmini, Chandrabali gets the lead role as Rukmini in Dwarka, and Satyabhama takes the secondary role. But you see their bhavas. You follow the Bhava of Rukmini, you see it corresponds with the with the right wing submissive love of Chandravali and the Vamya Bhav of, of Radha that's a little bit well, Krishna's Dharadiralita who Krishna's dominated by, we find that in Satyabhama, right? So is Rukmini's love less than Chandravali? <laughs> so uh, it's important to uh, emphasize this from time to time because we, we, in our material uh, sense, with our material sensibilities, uh, there's always competition in this world. And one always pushing on others to get ahead and be better, and we find this very ugly when it manifests in, this, in, in the association of devotees. My guru is better than your guru, and my sangha is better than your sangha. It's very um, unbecoming. 
Um, and it lends to aparad. We're told in Chaitanya Charitamrita also that many branches of the tree, the love of God, and they're all equal, even in their differences, right? So they're equally loving Krishna, even while they're loving in, in different ways, one of which might be more intense than it. I mean, we make this gradation. In Vaikuntha, we don't want to go there. It's like falling down. <laughs> we want to go to Braj. But this is just for, for sadhana, to orient ourselves. And we're careful as we, as we speak about it. Om Narayan, Jai Narayan, Lakshmi Narayan, Ki Jai. Hmm? Right? Hmm? An aspect of Radha and Krishna. So, they gave themselves... There's the point. So, well, entirely, these cowherds. And here, their object of love, their hero, he's emerged from the lake, but now he's in the coils of Kaliya. And as we'll hear, unlike other situations, he stays in the coils for some time. He's going to wait now for everybody in the whole brudge to come there. So, what is the measure of the trauma? experienced by Sakas. The cows crying out as if weeping and uttering human words while shedding actual tears stood motionless, stunned by intense grief. Not only the cattle, but the buffaloes, deer, and other animals at some distance from the scene, followed suit and acted similarly. Thus all of the first-hand witnesses of what appeared to be a tragic event were rendered incapable of informing others of the situation. Now here it begins. Where's Ram? Hmm? If he, only he were here. Hmm? Yeah, well, here it said, if only Ram were here, thinking thus, the underlying intellect of the natural surrounding environment, devas, sent signals to him, Balaram, and the balance of the Brajalok, the people of Braj, in the form of inauspicious omens, macrocosmically, skybound and earthbound, and microcosmically, causing quivering on the left and right sides, hand, eye, and thigh, of the bodies of Braj's men and women, respectfully. These omens serve to alert them and also to conceal Krishna's powers from them for the sake of increasing the bitter sweetness of the Leela with the appearance of Krishna being in danger. So, there's intelligence out there. <laughs> it's a, this is uh, our... Our, we have a sacral universe and world. It's a very different perspective than the modern perspective uh, that, that for centuries now has been distancing humanity from nature. Mm -hmm. And, of course, this began with the uh, scientific industrial revolution in, in Europe. Mm -hmm. The Renaissance, and it's really the, the, the uh, at that time, of course, science was tied to Christianity, and Christianity thought that equipped with science, which is just really the, I mean, the scientific experiment. What do you call it? The, the closed, hmm? controlled. controlled experiment. Yeah. So you control the environment, you make an experiment, you get data. And you say, this is, this is the fact, right? Objective fact. I mean, it's basically, if you touch fire, you get burned. So the cavemen were doing science, too. But they honed it hmm, to a certain degree that it seemed like a new, almost a new species. Hmm. And then the church, Christianity thought, this is, this is they, they, equipped with science, they could, they could, along with the miracle, the one miracle, the resurrection that would outdo all the shamans and all the pagans, 
now further equipped with science, they do away with this pagan superstition altogether, and the one true religion, natural theology, would substantiate the the, uh, the truth uh, of the Eastern, excuse me, the Western revelation. Of course, it didn't quite work out like that. So science was born as a Christian, and as it grew up, it became a little bit agnostic, and now in its its intoxicated adolescence, it's becoming atheistic. But if it is to live on into old age, it will have to become a mystic. Hmm. There's a meeting between religion and science as ways of knowing objectively. Hmm. Religion is not some just belief system, right? But it is, we look at our sadhana, for example, it's, it's kind of a objective, subjective perspective. <laughs> you have to be very objective. You have to step back from the world, not be driven by your feelings, emotions, by your senses and so forth, right? And go within. So this objectivity um, is uh, follows uh, it, it, detachment. I want to say it's like in science; you have to be detached. You can't say, "I think and I feel." Let's if you mix a little hydrogen and a little bit of oxygen like this, you're going to get water. But I think I should do H two three instead of H two O. It's very precise, right? So you just or in law, just to follow the facts. That's all. Just find the facts. That's all. Whatever you might wish it would be like. So you see, everybody glorifies this. This is sought to be true. Where, how we arrive at truth by objectivity, by detachment. But if you say, "Mom, I'm going to renounce," oh, that sounds terrible. That's maybe you're going to be. You know, caught up with some cult and and, and 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 be deceived and so forth. So we're just taking that same principle to 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 its um, um, full implication. Right? We want to be detached, not just in the lab, not just um, you know in the in the courtroom. So the sadhu. And sadhana is is about it's about stepping back so you can look at the world from a different angle. Shastachakshu. Hmm? Shastra gives us a theory that there is something called an atma consciousness. It's not a uh, uh, an outgrowth of, of biology. Hmm? And there's a way to experience it objectively. And so we move back from the way everyone else is experiencing the world by contact with sense objects and and so forth. Hmm? And we get we get now what, what we get is this internal result that in one sense we can't expect people to believe in in and of itself. I saw Krishna. Okay. And we've got a a new a new coat for you over here. <laughs> it's a straight coat. <laughs> yeah. So, so we can't expect them to believe that necessarily. But if we if we are actually having deep internal experience, even of just the atma, there are going to be external objective symptoms, which. really can't be dismissed. For example, harnessing our humanness, greed, avarice, lust, to harness all these things, to be above them, like Kipling's poem, If. You know the poem? It's a famous poem. Very nice. It's like the essence of the, this equanimity of that the Gita speaks about, right? That, that, that's, the, that's the baseline of spirituality. Hmm? 
walk among the rich and not be intoxicated by me, if this, if, then you'd be a real, a full person, he says. Mm-hmm. So, point being is that there's, there, it, we, we don't ask you to believe only in our subjective experience, but we ask you to take our objective, observable character. Therefore, Mahaprabhu said, Apaniachari Bhakti Sigai Musavari. And Gita says, Yadarachati Shrestas, Tattarivitarojana. Action speaks louder than words. So, example speaks louder than precept. Hmm? Teach by your example. People see the, these characteristics in you, these qualities. Hmm? Then you don't have to say that much. What did Mahaprabhu say to convert Sarvabhoma? Nothing. He remained silent for seven days. <laughs> Sarvabhoma kept teaching and teaching and teaching. And the silence of Mahaprabhu created a teachable moment in Bhattacharya to ask him, what's your understanding? What are you thinking? <laughs> then he spoke, but he had already created the teachable moment. Hmm? He converted Prakasananda Saraswati by his humility, by sitting at the, at the door where all the sadhus, all the sannyasis washed their feet before coming into the assembly, and he washed their feet. The big mayavadis. That created a teachable moment. He converted the head priest of the Ramanuja Sampradaya, Venkatabhatta, by joking. My dear Venkata, it is said that Lakshmi is very is the most chaste lady. Yes, yes, of course. Mm-hmm. But I was wondering if she's chaste to Narayan. Why is it that she wanted to dance with Krishna? Oh no, no. Don't think like that. That is Narayan and Krishna. They are same. No problem. Mm-hmm. Okay, Mahaprabhu was satisfied, and then he said, "But why couldn't she?" Then, then Kata passed out. Who could ask? What kind of a theological question is that? Who who could ask such a question only would know the answer? Hmm? Mahaprabhu converted him in this way. He didn't write a whole treatise on Vedanta. He said, Bhagavatam is there, as it is. Hmm? But his example, hmm? very extraordinary. There is no person in the religious history of the world that greater, um, that more exemplifies an intoxicated person in love of God than Chaitanya Mahaprabhu. And these are, of course, he has biography after biography, sacred biography, hagiography after so many of them, by contemporaries of the time and generations just thereafter and so forth. There's enough consistency. You know, that there's some. This is an extraordinary person. Mm-hmm. And the Goswamis, what they did is they took his ecstasy and they located it on the scriptural map. Nana Shastra Vichara Naikanipano Saddharma Samstabhago Lokanomita Karano Tribhubane Mandoshalanyakaro. And their hearts were just full of compassion for the people. So they t- took from all the scriptures. And they wrote the Bhakti Shastras, and they demonstrated what he is. This is the Mahabhava Radha. Hmm? This is what he is. Jaradhi, Jaragavar. Hmm? Hmm. So, we have to teach by example. Hmm? And the mystics, they have to be contended with. If you want to fight with the fundamentalist Christians and argue for atheism over their idea, you, 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 fine, go ahead. <laughs> we're not, that's not what we're talking about. We're, we're not talking about a fundamentalist conception of, of religion. They're about the heart of all these great traditions, and then each of which has a mystic that exemplifies it. And while we differ from different mystic traditions, we have common ground with them as well. Hmm? They're, they're ego-effacing. Then 
they have tra- they have transcendental um, potential, so to speak. Right? So, so at any rate, we have a different f- view of the world. The world is teleological. It has meaning. It has purpose. There's intelligence out there. There's an, a nice book I like to. Uh, I read it here actually years ago. The Passion of the Western Mind, and then what? What is the sequel? Um, Cosmos and Psyche, the first hundred pages. Um, what's his name? Tarns. Yeah, uh, it's a very nice uh, overview of evolution of Western philosophical thought and so forth. And he, and he was a, had a kind of a personally had a spiritual perspective on life. So the, the end of the book became rather compelling. Um, and um, in Cosmos and, and Psyche, he he kind of did a kind of a shorthand of the passion of the Western mind, I think it was, or something like that, in the first hundred pages. And then he used uh, astrology, um, archetypal version of, of of astrology, rather than the typical um, type that you encounter. And um, examples from that in the history of the world mm-hmm, to kind of verify his uh, perspective. Very, very, very interesting. Anyway, that the, the, the people think, how could the stars, you know, have influence on us? Well, the sun does. It's a star. <laughs> it has physical. Uh, but but you're just saying, could there be anything other than the physical? That's all you're saying. How can the stars have influence? Well, then you look for influence beyond the physical in pursuit of physical evidence. (laughs) That doesn't make any sense. If we say there's a non-physical influence, and you want physical proof of it, (laughs) you missed the point to start with, right? So it is with the Atma. We say there's will, consciousness. Where is it? We have nuclear, strong and weak. We have electromagnetic forces. We have gravity. We don't have souls. We don't see them. We, everything's working without a soul. So, is it? Really? Is everything working without your will? Why are we even debating? If there's no will. <laughs> it's already determined what you will say, what I will say. We're just machines here. There's no more meaning to what we're talking about than the raindrops falling on the roof. The sound of them. So you can, again, we were talking a little bit the other day about unhinging philosophy from revelation. That's where you end up in this madness of the mind. Hmm. So no. Hmm. The natural environment sent messages to the Brajalok, to the greater balance of, of, the, of the inhabitants who were at home with Balaram hmm, celebrating his monthly, monthly birthday, right? Hmm. Messages macrocosmically in the form of Meteors in the sky, shooting stars, and earth tremors, and so forth. And then microcosmically, and their bodies quivering on the left side, quivering on the right side. And they could, so they could understand something, something inauspicious. So these are, these are what we mean by, when we say the devas, we mean that. The, the world has intelligence. Mm-hmm. It has order. Mm-hmm. We are not independent. If we want to see, we need the sun. If we want to speak, we, we need wind. Mm-hmm. Right? Here you can see, as I said the other day, and the gods showered flowers, right? You've seen it, right? Flowers fall from the sky here mm-hmm. on auspicious occasions. Mm-hmm. So, 
again, I'll give you the example. If you're living in a house and you press a button and you get light, flip a switch, you get light, you press a button, you get heat, you turn a valve, you get water, what do you get when you go to the mailbox? A bill. There's somebody on the other end of all these things. That person has to be acknowledged. Otherwise, the flow of the water will turn off, the current of the electricity will be stopped. There's some, it's just a gratitude, to live in the world with gratitude, to be grateful for the sun. Hmm? This is to interact with, the, with nature hmm? in, in, with, with gratitude, which is kind of, a, kind of a basic form of love, like you, t- you teach your kids, did you say thank you? Say thank you. You're teaching them how to love, right? So the karma mark is about all about this gratitude. It's a very kind of childish form of love, but it's a beginning. That's a big thing, pretty much absent in the world world today. So, uh, as I've said, if you love someone, they'll tell you all their secrets. So, when you approach nature in this way, then you will know something about her that you could not know simply through the microscope, through the telescope. And the greatest secret of nature is that she has a soul. Mm-hmm. It's driving her, and it's you. Mm-hmm. What does the Gita say? Apareya mitastvanyam prakritim vidimepram jivabhuta mahabaho yayidam dharyate jagat dharyate jagat The world is being driven by the jiva. The nature has a soul. It's coming out, as we talked about the other night in human life, coming to the fore. So she can point you in the direction of yourself and your source. So here, in the context of the Brajlila, then see how there. How it's just such a nice life, right? Pagan life they were living. So many superstitions, and they saw the omens, and they knew something inauspicious. And of course, their minds immediately went to Krishna. Mm-hmm. And they had, they weren't concerned. Uh oh, something's going to happen to us. They thought something's happening to Krishna, and by extension, something's happening to us. Mm-hmm. Right. So the omens serve to alert them, and also to conceal Krishna's powers from them. So they're in the service of the madhurya, the sweetness, human-likeness of the leela. Hmm? They're informing Krishna is in danger. He's not in danger. He's God. He has nothing to fear. They have nothing to fear. But that's boring. <laughs> that's not sweet. So the, now the fear, the anxiety, the, the concern they're feeling, these are all, this is, this is all bhakti-rasa. Hmm. Fear for Krishna. Hmm. These omens, omens serve to alert them and also to conceal Krishna's powers from them for the sake of increasing the bitter sweetness of the Leela with the appearance of Krishna being in danger. The villagers became like animals, raw with emotion for their young, in apparent danger, without and without recourse to reason. Just like if you approach a mother cow that just had a calf, you have to watch out. Right? Right? Just raw with attachment to the, to the child. Even you, you were there milking every day. Mm. Okay. So just to give some idea here about how, what their attachment to Krishna was. Hmm? Their bodies trembling, the earth quaking and small meteors falling from the sky. They intuitively understood that danger was indeed afoot and each and every one of them thought only of Krishna and for Krishna's safety as if it were synonymous with their own. Krishna and Balaram they thought of, that is, turning as they did to the latter 
to the latter's shelter with questioning lines, seeking both solace and a solution, and Ram amongst them stood there uh, during the day's celebrations, centered on himself like a pillar of confident support. The omens, unable to dislodge his omniscience, offering subsequent assurance as to Krishna's safety, without saying anything, they looked at him. And he looked back. Now all, they reposed everything in, 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 in Balaram. See how central he is now. The whole of Braj, they've completely reposed all of their hope, all of their love in the, 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 the significant extension of Krishna in the form of Balaram. Now he will, he will carry the day and we'll here take them to the Jamuna. Balaramji ki jai. Kaliya Krishna ki jai. Rajlok ki jai. Gaur Premanandi. Any question? What's the time? Okay, it's a little late. We'll stop there. Shishidaji Gopal. Yeah.